Algar Productions. Hydrosol presents Sarcastic Voyage Theater, vintage radio comedy with a modern sensibility. Featuring the unparalleled talents of the world-renowned Sarcastic Voyage unpaid voice acting players. And now, the radio adventures of Dottie. Delicious Puff Rice Cereal presents the radio adventures of Dottie. Hoping to rescue her captive friends from the clutches of a sinister mad scientist, plucky young adventuring sidekick Dottie finds herself reassigned to the mesmerizing, larger-than-life hero known as Professor Farrell. But after spending a night in his New York compound, Dottie discovers that Team Farrell's goals were less about heroism and more about praising Professor Farrell. Escaping into the busy streets of the city with her robot, she discovers a giant crab attacking the Chrysler building. And now today's episode, The Deadly Crabs from Beyond the Moon. It's okay, everyone. Please calm down. I know the situation seems scary, but you can trust me. I'm from the Ministry of the Unconventional... What in the world? Forces! Oh, it can hardly see anything. Someone turn out a spotlight and... They see me projecting something on the side of that building. It looks like... The letter B. What's that stand for? Forces! The masked man on that motorcycle just fired a cloud of bees into the crowd. And now I leap from my motorcycle like so. I do a somersault in midair with a flawless landing. Ha! The Tordovian judge gives me a perfect ten. There's no judge here. Just a crowd that was panicking because of the giant crab and now also because of all the bee stings. And now your motorcycle just crashed into the side of that armored car. And then got run over by it. Oh, it's fine. I have a whole fleet of those back at the hive. They're only about a thousand dollars a piece. Now to handle this giant crab. Horses, he's pulling a gun. Wrong. I'm pulling three guns. <laughs> You're not going to stop that giant crab with bullets. I don't even think you can hit anything with a gun in each hand and... Yep, but that's what I thought. Another in your mouth. Take that and that. Well, what more is king from you? Mister, I don't know who you are, but you obviously don't know anything about fighting giant crabs. Your bullets are just bouncing off its shell and endangering the crowd even more. Well, this is why I dispersed them before I started. If they're still in range at this point, it's hardly my fault. Aha! Take some more of this! I think this guy thinks he's a hero, but he's really just making a big mess. What do you say we take over, Mr. Robot? Tabulating. I have a plan. You see that wrecked truck over there? Tabulating. Hold the line, please. No, not that wrecked truck. The other one, behind the... Horses, there's a lot of ruined property here. And that fella's not making this any easier. This blue one here. Okay, I need you to use your super robot strength to tear the rubber off two of its tires. Tabulating. But be sure to leave the rubber intact. Good robot. Now this is exactly like that time Mr. Owl, Mr. Matt, and I got hit by Dr. Portent's shrinking ray and he dropped us into his normal-sized aquarium of doom. Do you remember how we handled that lobster? Tabulation complete. That's right! Now be careful to avoid the gunfire! Oh no. Well, I didn't want to find out like this, but now at least we know you're bulletproof. Now stretch those giant rubber bands around his... There you go! Hey, what'd you do that for? Rule three in the MUCUS handbook. In a crisis situation, always work to minimize civilian casualties and contain the most lethal element first. Oh, I see. You're one of them ministry types. And I'm going to take a wild guess here and say that you're not. (laughs) Now, why in the name of the Queen Bee herself would I want to have some bureaucratic organization breathing down my neck? I'm perfectly capable of fighting crime by my own rules with my own considerable budget. If you're playing by your own rules, you're not really fighting crime. Of course I'm fighting crime. Granted, this giant crab thing is a bit out of my usual street-level jurisdiction. If you don't work for anyone, how do you have a jurisdiction? (laughs) Listen, little girl. My name is Dottie. I'm sure it probably is. Now listen, I'm a very wealthy and very bored man. Also, crime exists. 
so it stands to reason that I should use my considerable wealth to buy an endless supply of vehicles, hidden fortresses, and, of course, guns... Of course. ...to fight that crime. I'm only 11, but even I know that none of that actually stands to reason. Horses! Say, that's one keen robot. Yours? Tabulating. He works with me, but he doesn't belong to anybody. I don't understand. That doesn't surprise me at all. Well, it's just I could I could really use something like this to help me in my one-man war against the underworld. Of course, we'd have to paint him to look like a bee. Why would you want to do that? Consistency. Surely you know who I am. Not really. Why, I'm the bee. Women swoon at my very presence. Criminals cower before my mighty sting. And crowds flee in terror from your cloud of bees and your random hail of bullets. Didn't you just say you were 11? That's awfully young to be so cynical. And however old you are is much too old to be using the city as your playground. But I'm a crime fighter. Sure, I may not be registered through your ministry, but my motives are pure and I get results. Just like the noble hero of old from whom I draw my inspiration. Beowulf? I'm gonna pretend you didn't say that. That's probably for the best. I meant Robin Hood! Horses. How do you get dress up like a bee and carry lots of guns from Robin Hood? Well, you left out the part where I'm a master of disguise. (laughs) The cornerstone of my entire identity is that I could literally be anyone. Wait, so you think that's consistent because you emphasized the word be? It's a bit of a stretch, I admit, but nevertheless, I truly can disappear into nearly any role. Why, you should hear my flawless foreign accent. No, thank you. Your loss. I still don't see what any of that has to do with Robin Hood. Oh, those are just details. Every gentleman vigilante is inspired by Robin Hood in some way or another. It's an extremely versatile legend. How are you not in jail? Whoa! Is that someone on a jetpack? Maybe they can talk some sense into you. Yeah, maybe they can tell me where I can buy one of those jetpacks. He looks like a sea captain. Aye, that I am. Captain Morrow at your service. I'm from the Ministry of the, of Unconventional, the Unconventional for Canada, Canada and the US. US. Uh, you know us then. I'm with you. Junior Agent Dottie, currently unassigned to any adult agents. And to be honest, I could really use your help. Fear not, lass. I and my crew of loyal men will round up this deadly crab and... Oh, the crab's taken care of. No thanks to you. And who's this masked man? I've been waiting for you to ask that since you arrived, mister. Bees! He's using those stupid bees of his to cover his exit. What a jerk! I heard that. Good, you were meant to! I think the bees are dispersing now. Sorry about that. Do you know that man? I wish I didn't. Now, you said you were here for this crab? Aye. My crew and I have been tracking the sinister Lady Regino Draco. She's my arch nemesis. And she threatened to attack the eastern seaboard with a number of gigantic aquatic creatures if... If... If what? I don't want to say. Gee, Captain, you can trust me. As a sidekick, I'm called upon to keep all sorts of secrets. If I don't marry her. <laughs> hey! <laughs> Sorry, you just caught me off guard is all. I am 11, and there's not much in the world that's funnier to me right now than grown-ups getting into fights over kissing. Aye, aye, aye. Now look, you said you needed my help. Yes, sir. The adventurers I'm usually assigned to got captured by an evil mad scientist, and they're trapped in his dungeon. Well now, that sounds like the sort of thing I joined up to do in the first place. Tell you what, you help my men load this giant crab onto my ship, and then we'll see about setting sail for wherever it is your friends are being held. Horses, do you mean it? Of course. I'll bring your robot along too, if you like. Horses! Well, we got a little off track for a while there, but now things really seem to be going our way. Captain Morrow seems really nice, and his men are... Tabulating. What is it? Who are you pointing at? Oh no, his men are sharpening their swords and singing pirate shanties? And they've tied up poor Captain Morrow. Seahorses! Okay, so I was trying something new since we were at sea. It obviously didn't work, but never mind that. We're trapped on this ship full of dangerous pirates! Tune in again for our next exciting installment, Bring Me the Head of Captain Morrow, only on Sarcastic Voyage Theater.
And now, your producer, Mr. Ron Algar Watt. Before we begin our program, I have an urgent request on behalf of the management. Because even though it's the year of our Lord 1938, some of you apparently still need to be reminded to deactivate any personal devices you may be carrying that would cause a disruption in our performance. So, in the interest of you not being shunned by our players, your fellow radio enthusiasts, and our home listeners, please silence all radium wristwatches, wind-up Donald Duck toys, model trains, electric telephones, and radios. Especially radios. Our players tend to take it personally when an audience ignores them in favor of another, almost certainly inferior, program. (laughs) Right. Good evening. Ladies and gentlemen, now, before you go checking your radium wristwatch to verify if it is indeed evening... Allow me to share with you a little secret of our trade. On the radio, it is always evening. For could you imagine one of our popular heroes, say, the gentleman vigilante known as The Bee, righteously shooting criminals in the face in broad daylight? Or the elegant respectability of a radio ventriloquist going on at any time before the cocktail hour? And how could families across this great nation gather round to hear which sponsor's products require your unwavering financial support if father is still at work? And speaking of unwavering financial support, our sponsor this evening, Hydrosol, has provided me with this exquisite segue to remind you that no other cleaning product on the market brings you that unmistakably Hydrosol odor of chemical cleanliness. (laughs) Yes, your eyes may be burning and your skin may be tingling, but that's how you can tell it's working. Good evening, radio audience. I am, as always, Dr. Evan Carter, and I'm here to deliver this week's Healthy Minute. Today, I'd like to discuss the fallacy of so-called mental depression. What a pampered life we Americans must lead when we begin to think of common everyday sadness as a disease. More and more frequently these days, I and my colleagues in the medical profession come to our offices to discover not a sick or injured person waiting there, but someone who is feeling a little sad. (laughs) These, uh, These people are a considerable waste of our time, and they're also gumming up the works for people with real problems. So here and now, let's dispel some of the myths out there about depression. First and foremost, to put it as plainly as I can, there's no such thing as depression. Economies can get depressed, people cannot. If you're feeling a little sad, it's probably because something made you sad. Maybe you did something wrong. (laughs) If you have to think about it at all, which I don't advise, you might consider thinking about what you did to bring about these feelings. How you could have made such a foolish mistake and what you can do to avoid making it again in the future. More than likely, whatever you think is wrong with you will pass with time. Why, my own colleague, Dr. Stern, experienced what we used to refer to as melancholia for a time, but it didn't last, and we can assume that he would have made a complete recovery if his his life hadn't been abruptly cut short by a freak carbon monoxide accident in his garage. (laughs) There are, of course, clinics that will treat you for this ailment because, well, sad gullible people's money spends just like everyone else's, folks. So if you think you're ready for, say, hydrotherapy, that's where they strap you in and repeatedly submerge you in an ice-cold bath for days at a time, you just go on and continue complaining about your depression. Perhaps they'll try the new metrazole conversion therapy on you. Hope you like painful electrical shocks, because that's what metrazole conversion therapy means. And if that doesn't work, there's always the newly approved lobotomy procedure. There are, I must admit, some distinct advantages to this approach, as the doctors simply remove the segment of your brain that causes you to feel strong emotions or complain about them. Problem solved. In the end, there are, as ever, two sets of basic rules, one for women and one for men. Girls, we all know what's causing your emotional instability, and those of us in the know are aware that it'll likely pass in two or three days. As for you men, there's no shame in ignoring or suppressing your feelings. There is, however, shame in admitting you have a problem. Deep shame. The Victorians knew what they were talking about, fellas. Keep that business to yourselves. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Join me next week when we'll discuss the healing power of smoking. Good night and good health, America. Once again, our producer, Ron Algar, what? That's enough of your sass. Hello again, ladies and gentlemen. Something we like to do here at Sarcastic Voyage Theater is this completely off-the-cuff discussion with our troupe of unpaid voice acting players. 
So many of you write in asking us what our players are really like, and who better to tell you than the players themselves in loose, candid discussions on the air with their producer. And so we turn the spotlight on Mark Bosco. Thanks for the chance to have my voice heard, Mr. Wan. Please, we relate to one another as men. Call me Al. <laughs> sure thing, Al. That's not in your script. What did I tell you? This candid off the cuff segment only works if I read exactly what you've written for me. Exactly. So, Bob, you've been an unpaid voice acting player for some time now. In our last episode, you had the starring role in our main feature, playing the rather milquetoast PhD PI. Yes, that's right. You've also been called upon to play a number of child roles for us, as we heard earlier in tonight's program. Well, Al, I think I can see where you're going with this, and not just because I've read ahead in the script. No ad-libbing! There seems to be some concern out there that I may be something less than masculine. And of course, Sarcastic Voyage Theatre, like Hollywood and the rest of the entertainment industry, demands that his gentlemen performers be, without question, all man. <laughs> well, rest assured, that's exactly what I am. Why, earlier today, I sucked a fellow right in the jaw. Does that sound like something a sissy would do? Certainly not. I also drink a great deal, and I mean a really great deal, even by 1938 standards. My pre-show regimen includes two-fifths of scotch and a stein I chiseled myself from a piece of Mount Everest, which I climbed. That sounds pretty manly to me. But if your average listener is still not convinced that I'm everything a male performer could be, there's only one way I can think of to convince them. By doing a thousand push-ups right here on this stage. You sure they're going to buy this? Of course they're going to buy it. It's theater for the mind. They'll buy whatever we tell them to buy. Ah, uh, ladies and gentlemen... If you'd be so kind as to close your eyes during this extraordinary display of masculinity, we'd appreciate it. Just, uh, just so you have the same experience as our listening audience at home has. Uh, all right, then. Uh, here I go. Keep those eyes closed, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, one, two, three, Well, folks, there can be no four, questioning that unpaid five, voice acting player Mark Basco is currently doing 1,000 push-ups. Eight. What an impressive nine, display of rugged athleticism. Ah, not that I know anything 12, about that. Why don't 13, we just move along to our next 14, feature now? <clears throat> uh, shall I keep doing, doing push-ups? No! Get off the stage! Say, why would you make eye contact with me? I'm a man. We're both men. Just go on to the next thing. <laughs> And now, because all of life's problems make more sense when viewed through the opulent monocle lens of our social betters, we present Letters to Fanny. Good evening. I'm Fanny Morgan, the famous socialite ingenue and debutante. I'm here once again to answer letters submitted by you, the regular, non-wealthy, non-famous people in our listening audience. Why I do this remains a mystery to me as I am certain there is someone better suited to listen to your awful people and your problems. <laughs> Let's get started, shall we? Letter 1. Dear Fanny, I have my eye on a very special fella, but he doesn't seem to know I exist. I've tried everything, dropping a handkerchief in front of him, baking cookies, accidentally flashing an ankle or two, all for nothing. How can I make him realize that my blind devotion and idealization of him as a person entitles me to his love? I sure hope you can help me. Margaret of Bowling Green, Kentucky. Well, Margaret, I rarely help people, but I'll give it my best shot. I must confess, when you say he doesn't love you, I'm not exactly sure what you mean. Are you saying that even though he appreciates the carefully maintained curl of your hair and expertly applied rouge, he still refrains from buying you gifts? Certainly there's a chance it's not your fault. Perhaps he's already married and his wife keeps a close watch on the finances. At any rate, if you're serious about this man, have you thought about acquiring more money? In my experience, that has never failed to attract the attention of a prospective beau. Letter 2 Dear Fanny, as, as the mother of seven with... Another little one on the way. I've always, I'm always looking for ways to stretch what little we've got into a wholesome, delicious meal. I'm a long-time listener, and so I know you're a great cook. Do you have any recipes for a large family down on their luck? Mary, Medina, California. Yes. Cooking. <laughs> As we all know, I love to cook. <laughs> when it comes to cooking... 
I find that a cooked dish is best served warm. <laughs> Unless, of course, it's a cold dish, such as a salad, a gelatin mold, or revenge. <laughs> and as far as cooking for more people, I find that more food is better when cooking for more people. <laughs> if you find yourself lacking, have you perhaps considered acquiring more money? In my experience, I've never gone hungry. Letter three. Dear Fanny, since we haven't had any rain in 25 days, we went ahead and dragged the radio out to the front porch. I have to tell you, the farm animals, what's left of them after the drought, absolutely love your voice. Though we mourn old Stanley each day that we eat horse meat stew, it's good to hear Bessie, our only remaining cow, moo along when your dulcet tones come on the radio. Adam, Lost Cabin, Wyoming. Oh, Adam, I am at a loss for what to say, which never happens. <laughs> your story brought a tear to my eye. I too lost a favorite horse. Of course, we have many others, and yes, the family cavalcade won the Kentucky Derby last year. But nothing will replace the bond I formed learning dressage with my old mare. A smoke after dinner. I feel for you. And it brings me great joy that your fellow hoofed companions appreciate the effort I put into my work. To them I say... You may write to me, Fanny Morgan, in care of this station. I will open your letter myself. Unless, of course, as is the case with this week, I forget to bring my gloves. <laughs> in which case I'll have one of these, um, people at the radio studio hold it up for me so I don't have to touch it. <laughs> I shall do everything in my considerable power to solve your sad little problems. I am, after all, your social better and certainly know what's best for you. Goodbye for now. Let's have another one of those trademark casual chats with the lovely nightingale you just heard. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Amanda Smith. <laughs> Thanks, Al, for having this casual conversation with me. Please, only men may address me as Al. You may call me Mr. Watt. Sure thing, Mr. Watt. Now then, Amanda, as one of the founding members of the Unpaid Voice Acting Players, there are some who might suggest that your star is beginning to fade with age. <laughs> Oh, I believe I may have heard that something to that effect has been written about me <laughs> once. But I'm so busy with all my many, many acting jobs. And <laughs> really, who pays attention to such things anyway? So those rumors that you've personally attacked six different gossip columnists for saying, quote, Amanda Smith has always vaguely resembled someone's aunt, but now she's a dead ringer for every sad spinster who died alone and unloved? They're exactly that! Rumors! Uh, speaking of rumors, there's been some unfortunate talk of animosity between you and your fellow voice, unpaid voice acting player Christy Brannan. Now that's complete nonsense. I can see how a lesser performer might get a teensy little bit jealous over a relatively new addition on to the ensemble taking all the best roles, but <laughs> you know what they say, there are no small parts. Only small actors? Like Miss Brannan. 
So there's no friction at all between the two of you? Why would there be? We're on the same team here, and it's not like she gets more actual lines than I do. Not that you're counting. Of course not. What kind of a prima donna do you take me for? <laughs> the kind who will work for absolutely nothing. Amanda, thanks for your time. <laughs> the next member of our troupe to have a completely spontaneous chat with me is Miss Christy Brannon. Thanks, Mr. Watt. It's a pleasure. Yes. I... And of course, I know that it's proper for a lady to address her producer as Mr. and not to assume any kind of familiarity, like some less relevant players might. Well, this brings me neatly to the topic I wish to discuss. We spoke earlier with your co-star Amanda Smith. Yes, of course. Age before beauty. Is there anything you'd care to add to Amanda's statements regarding your alleged rivalry? Not really. I defer to the age and wisdom of Amanda's statements regarding your... Um, like a performer like Amanda. So there's no truth in the rumors, then? Absolutely not. Amanda's very dear to me, like an older sister. No, that's not quite right, like a mother. I see. But one of those mothers who had their children late in life. I understand. <laughs> because she's much, much older than I am. While you are one of the newer members of the unpaid voice acting players, you've always been very insistent that you be considered for any role we may have available. Well, Mr. Watt, there's no substitute for the boundless energy of youth. I'm happy to play characters closer to my own age, but I'm also working on a withered old crone character that many have told me is exceptionally believable. Would you like to hear it? I'm always interested in hearing new voices from my players. What do you have? All right. Let's see. <clears throat> my name's Amanda. Ah, thanks very much, Miss Brannon. Now it's time for our feature attraction. Our story begins on a lonely road. A sad little girl, nine years old, dressed in tattered rags that could barely be described as a dress, walks with her sole worldly possession tagging along behind her. Look at me. Orphan girl alone I don't have a home for me in my red wagon Left to die Wandering the streets I don't have beats to put in my red wagon Someday Maybe someone will let us stay for a while in their home Let's be real, I should not presume someone has the room for me and my red wagon. That sounds like a car! Jeepers, red wagon! I guess we better move before... Blasted McDougal? Uh, it's Brewster, sir. What on earth is the delay? The stock exchange opens promptly at nine in the car. Why, the car doesn't seem to be moving at all. What's the meaning of this, McDougal? <sighs> Mr. Rockaflower, sir, I've, I've told you on more occasions than I can count that my name is not McDougal. Why you persist in addressing me by anything other than my name is frankly baffling. What's that, McDougal? Didn't catch a word of that. We stopped, sir, because we appear to have uh, struck an impediment of some sort. Impediment? Nonsense. Remove it at once, McDougal. Uh, right away, Mr. Rockflower. Oh. <coughs> Hello? Some, someone there? Oh, oh, goodness. What is it, McDougal? My name is Brewster. <laughs> I think we hit a little girl, sir. A little girl? Good heavens. That's a lawsuit waiting to happen. Fix it this instant, McDougal. So it's definitely not his hearing then. He does this on purpose. Hello, little girl. Are you are you okay? <coughs> I think so. Oh, oh goodness! Please, please stay away from me. Why? 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 I, I don't mean you any harm. I'm just... You look scary, Mister. Please, just stay back. Scary? No, no. What on earth about me would you find scary? You have a beard. <laughs> ah, that. Yeah, I understand. This is 1938, and men simply don't have beards unless they're stuffy old professors or communists, or more often than not, both. Well, I don't know nothing from professors, mister, but I sure don't like them whiskers. Listen, I'm, I'm real concerned that we might have hurt you, but please, I, I promise I'm not dangerous. Plenty of trustworthy men have beards, like, like uh, Santa Claus. You're not scared of all Santa Claus, are you? Gee, mister, I've never seen Santa Claus on account he doesn't visit poor folk. 
Oh, you know, times are hard for everyone, but I'm sure your parents... I don't have parents either. Oh, parents? Nope. All I got in this whole world is my little red wagon. Well, I don't have that anymore either. Anyway, you didn't hit me with your car. You just ruined my red wagon. So you can go on and leave now if you want to. Oh, no, I couldn't in good conscience. McDougal, where on earth have you gone? You're not chasing down a penny, are you, you old Scottish skinflint? <laughs> is, that, is that you? Is your name McDougal? Uh, no, my name's Brewster, but the guy I work for sure seems to think it's McDougal. Jumpin' Jupiter, I, I never met anybody with a job before. <laughs> what do you do? Uh, you, you see that fancy car over there? Uh, you mean the one that crushed my red wagon? Right, that one. Uh, it belongs to Mr. Arthur Rockefeller, one of the richest men in the country. He lives in a big mansion over on that hill over there, and it is my distinct honor... McDougal, if you don't resume your duties immediately, I shall place you in a sack with some rocks and drown you like a wayward kitten. <laughs> and don't think you'd be the first servant to receive this treatment. To drive him around. Listen, kid, I gotta go now. I understand, mister. So long. I hope you sleep cozy tonight up in that big warm mansion on the hill. Come on, kid. He probably won't even notice if you get in the front car with me. He's usually too drunk by this point of the morning to notice much of anything. Gee whiz, do you mean it? Yeah, it's the least I can do for you. I, I, I'll get that little red wagon of yours all fixed up and see if I get you a hot meal before we're through. Golly, thanks! You're not so bad for a man with a beard. Yeah, yeah. McDougal! Come in, Mr. Rockflower. Now, now, you remember, I'll do my best to handle the old man, but you need to keep as quiet as you can. Whatever you say, mister. Oh, what a cute kid. There. I think that should get your little red wagon working on all sixes again. I, I put some new wheels on it, which shouldn't bend. When someone runs it over with a car again? Well, uh, let's hope that doesn't happen. I try not to hope too much, Mr. Brewster. That way I don't end up sad that I didn't get what I hoped for. I also reinforced the body of the wagon, so you should be able to carry a lot more stuff in it now. That'd be great! Yeah, what? If I ever get stuff to put in it. Sad, I just realized you never told me your name. Oh, I have this really great song I like to sing. It tells people what my name is. Oh, yeah? Yeah! But I'm really hungry, and I don't want to sing it right now. Oh. Anyway, my name's Little Cindy. I'm sure you won't be Lil for too much longer, Cindy. Why? Do you think someone's going to try to take my name away, too? <laughs> I thought I had lost everything a person could lose. I, I tell you what, let, let's see about getting you some food. The kitchen's just through here. Gosh, as long as you think it'd be okay. I know rich people don't always like to share food with people like me. Uh, I'm sure it'll be fine. Close that door. Be jabbers, who's that? McDougal, you know you're not supposed to come in the house to the garage. If Mr. Rockaflower sees so much as one drop of motor oil on this floor, he's going to... He's threatened to have you permanently taxidermied with your remains displayed in the garage with a big sign around your neck warning your successor. Oh. I thought you said your name wasn't McDougal. Well, it, it isn't, but... Uh... But our employer says it is, so it is. Just as my name is, heaven help me, Mrs. McDougal. Oh, wow! So you two are men! Well, no. <laughs> Certainly not. Well, you don't have to say it like that. Mr. Rockaflower, in his infinite wisdom, has decided he wishes to be served by a married Scottish couple called McDougal. So, in the interest of remaining gainfully employed, we agreed to this absurd conceit. But not before I had a frank conversation with Mr. McDougal about what that means. And more importantly, what it definitely does not mean. Gee whiz. Darling, uh, this here's little Cindy. We had a little accident earlier. An accident? Oh, it was 
wasn't anything important. He just destroyed my little red wagon, which is the only thing I have in the whole world. <laughs> McDougal, you monster. I, I fixed it. You poor thing. When was the last time you had a good meal? Well, ma'am, I've been mostly living on pine cones and the few beans the hobos leave at the bottom of their cans after they throw them at me. I'm not sure when, when the last time I had a good meal was. And I suppose you were just going to let this little angel starve to death? Well, uh, no, I brought her in here, so maybe you could... That's quite enough of you. Get back into the garage and do whatever it is you do in there. Uh, but, but I was trying to... Out. Jiminy. I'm sure Mr. McBruce Dougal didn't mean any harm, miss. Oh, I'm sure he didn't either. It's just... It's not easy to live like this sometimes. I don't know a lot about servants on account I've never even lived in a house before, much less a big fancy one like this. But can they really make you do whatever they want? You know, before this awful awful depression. I was as rich as the rock of flowers. Richer, even. And I certainly didn't consider my servants' feelings. Then again, I only yelled at mine. I didn't mash them together like dolls trying to make them kiss. <laughs> I'm sorry, ma'am. I don't know what you mean. I've never played with a doll. You poor dear. I'm not really poor, as long as I have hope. Except, like, I was telling your pretend husband, I don't really have much of that, so I don't get disappointed. <laughs> let's, uh, let's see about getting you some food. I bet you can cook up pine cones real good. I think we can do better than pine cones. Though, to hear Mrs. Rockaflower tell it, not much better. Did you say you used to be rich? Oh, yes. Frightfully so. But that was a long, long time ago. Probably before you were born. I don't know when I was born. Because I don't have any parents. My husband, that is to say my real husband, who I married for real reasons. Money. <laughs> well, when the stock market crashed, he, uh... Well, go on, you can say it. I've seen all sorts of awful things. Did he blow his brains out? Well, close. He jumped out a window. Oh, Jimmy. Wow. And I thought I didn't have any hope left. Somehow the rock of flowers, those sly, flat tires, managed to avoid all of that and remain solvent while the rest of us went broke. What's solvent? Not broke. Oh, no wonder I didn't know that word. <laughs> they did take pity on me and hired me on as their maid and cook. But I'm pretty sure that's because I regularly beat Mrs. Rockaflower at bridge, and why are you looking at me like that? She's standing right behind me, isn't she? Actually, Agarty, I've been standing here since sly flat tires, which I will assume is a compliment, and we shall speak no more of it. Uh, yes, Mrs. Thank you, Mrs. Jemininininini! I thought you were supposed to call her Mrs. McDougal. That's my husband's absurd idea, and who, if I may be so bold? And I may, because this is my house. Are you? Young uh, lady. So sorry, Mrs. This is... Uh... I didn't ask you, I asked her. My name's Lil Cindy. And I suppose you came round asking for a handout. Jumping Jupiter, no way! I was just walking down the street, minding my own business, when my little red wagon and Mr. McDougal ran it over and almost killed me. Almost only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. I never asked for anything, ma'am. He brought me up here and he fixed my wagon. Then this nice lady... Nice lady? Who else have you let into my home, woman? I think she meant me, Mrs. <laughs> No, that can't possibly be right. Oh, it is, ma'am. She was making me some food on account I haven't had any in, well, I can't remember. <laughs> well, I won't allow it. Feeding a stray doesn't make them stop coming to your door. It just means they'll be back for more the next day. Begging your pardon, missus, but I was just cooking up some of the leftovers that you and Mr. Rockaflower would have thrown out anyway. You were going to give this child our garbage? Oh, I don't mind. I eat lots of people's garbage. 
You misunderstand me. The relevant word in that sentence wasn't garbage. It was our. As in, it belongs to us. I understand. Shall I throw the food away, then? Uh, no. I suppose she might as well have it now. It'll give her something to do while I figure out what you need to call when you want animal control, but for children. <laughs> well, there's the city orphanage, but I heard they take kids to a coal mine and work them till they die. Sounds like my kind of place. Mrs. Rockaflower. That will be all, Gertie. But, Mrs. I said you may go. Yes, Mrs. Sorry, kid. Honestly, if that woman were any slower, she'd be moving backwards. Gee, I don't want to be rude, but I see what you mean. <laughs> oh, you do, do you? Oh, sure. I'm just a penniless little orphan who lives on the streets and fights raccoons for scraps in the dumpsters behind restaurants. But even I can tell she's dumb than a bag of wrenches. <laughs> I think you mean hammers, dear. These hammers are so dumb. They think they're wrenches. Oh. Now, where on earth did you hear an expression like that? Oh, I thought of it myself. It took me a while, but I had plenty of time waiting for her to remember how to open the icebox. She just kept pushing it and then frowning. I bet she does that stupid frowny face a lot, huh? I believe I know the face you mean. <laughs> I'm probably sad because my husband jumped out a window. <laughs> Goodness, child. You know you mustn't say such things in polite company. Oh, oh, I'll be quiet now. Don't you dare. Polite company in this context means anyone who isn't me. Now you eat up and tell me more about my simple-minded housekeeper. Okay, well... When she started cooking for me, she went looking for some spices. Spices? How ridiculous. Yeah, yeah that. Uh, also, um, she was looking for the spices and they're arranged alphabetically, but she didn't know her letters because I heard her singing, you know, A, B, C, D, E, oh, F, G. That's priceless. <laughs> that driver of yours, no prize either. Oh, so you've met McDougal then. I'll put it this way. One time, I snuck into a circus and saw a monkey driving a little car. Adorable. That monkey was a better driver. Oh, oh, you've really got his number. <laughs> yeah, he, she's pretty dumb. They both are. <laughs> Daphne, where in the name of Dow Jones are you? I'm in the kitchen, Arthur. In the kitchen? Isn't that where the servants live? No, Arthur, they only... Would you come in here rather than shouting from across the room? Well, you told me you were in here, but I didn't believe it. Where's Mrs. McDougal? I gave her the rest of the day off. Your what? It's a Scottish day of rest. Didn't know they had those. Oh, sure. It's their Highland holidays. <gasps> Good one, ma'am. And who is this? This Arthur is Lil Cinder. I shouldn't expect you to recognize her. You nearly killed her this morning with your car. Well, that doesn't sound like me at all. I never drive myself. So, what, what does it want? She, she doesn't want anything. And she doesn't know it yet, but I'm going to adopt her. You're going to what? Horses! Horses? Oh, sorry, that one's not mine. I heard it on the radio. What I meant to say was cheekers. Do you really mean it? I do indeed, young woman. And I suppose I don't have any say in this? Arthur Judson Rockerflower VIII, you've never done anything kind or generous for anyone in your life. I know. It's why I've managed to remain so fantastically wealthy in the face of a crippling economic depression. <laughs> and it's also, incidentally, the reason we fell in love in the first place. If you don't adopt this little girl with me, you're going to find yourself very much out of love and also substantially less wealthy. Now, see here. I won't be threatened. Gosh, I don't want anyone to fight on account of me. <laughs> Nonsense. Arthur, listen to me. All you need to do is spend a few minutes with this girl and I promise you'll find her every bit as charming and scrappy as I have. She reminds me of a young me. 
Except for the part where she has no money and she's dressed in rags, of course. Mm, well, I suppose if the tax write-off offset the cost of actually caring for it... I don't eat much, mister. <sighs> Fine. You may have one hour of my time to sell me on the value of your life and our involvement therein. <laughs> Knock him dead, kid. I'll try my best. Now then, just because I promised to listen to you for an hour, that doesn't mean I'm going to just stand here like a slack-jawed McDougal. I still have work to do, and you're coming with me. Sure thing, Mr. Rockflower. Where are we going? To the same place I retire to every evening after a hard day's work. My vault. To count my fortune. Come along. Jeepers! This house is amazing! I always say one should live within one's means, but I can't expect you to know that as you probably never worked a day in your life. Actually, sir, I have. I was a newsie for a couple of years. Then I climbed up into a narrow chimney for a chimney sweep until he died of the black lung. Really? Yeah. And then I ranted out some commies to the FBI. They gave me a whole quarter. <laughs> Why, that's extraordinary. Just doing my duty as a citizen. Oh, wow. What's that big metal door? This little girl. My name is Lil Cindy. Yes, Lil Cindy. This is my vault. Is it another room in your house? It's a very special room in my house, where my money lives. Whiskers? What if someone tried to take it? That's why this big metal door locks. And it only opens if you know the right numbers to turn the dial to. There we are. Jiminy gracious! There's so much money in here! $17,846,714 at last count. Every penny of it backed by gold like the good lord intended. <laughs> I've never even seen one dollar before. Well, now you've seen 17,846,714 of them. <laughs> I don't know much about anything, Mr. Rockflower. But aren't rich people supposed to keep their money in the bank? That's what Mr. Roosevelt says. Roosevelt? Why, I'd spit in that pathetic little socialist if I didn't think I'd be tackled by a dozen Secret Service men. I know I could take him in a fair fight. I bet you could. Yeah, damn right I could. In answer to your question, the little people probably should keep their money in banks, I suppose. But the reason I wasn't hurt by the market crash in 1929 was because nobody could touch any of my money. Because you had it in this safe in this big metal room. That's right. You know, I'm hesitant to acknowledge this, but she's not in the room. You do have a certain charm to you, little Cindy. Oh, shucks. You must be this... Deserving poor I've heard so much about and seen so little of. I could certainly see the value in snatching up a hard-working young Republican from... Uh, where was it that you said you lived again? Nowhere, sir. Well, we'll just see about that. Tonight we're clearing out the largest guest room. No, scratch that. We're clearing out my worthless son's room. <laughs> I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Well, maybe you don't, but I do. <laughs> He's worthless and perhaps seeing a young go-getter living in his former accommodations will teach that boy a lesson. You're the boss, Mr. R. By Jove, I am. Now climb up on my shoulders at once. I shall take you to a new living quarters on piggyback. Hooray! And tomorrow we'll see about getting those adoption papers started. can't remember the last time I've slept so soundly. It's an absolutely beautiful morning, and our family is about I'll to- I'll get down here at once! For heaven's sake, Daphne, what have we said about shouting across the I'll house? I'll it's gone! What's- Oh, for... I'm coming down! Now then, Daphne, what on earth are you- Why is my vault open? It's gone, Arthur. Your money! Our oh, money! Every last dollar of it. But who could have opened my... Oh, no. What? She watched me open the safe. I, I felt comfortable showing her because, I mean, she's so small and poor and Republican. 
In all the years you've been keeping this ridiculous dragon sword, you've never once told me the combination. Yes, but I thought that... Arthur, do you know what this means? It means... It means I'm going to have to become someone's housekeeper! Look at you! Falling for my bluff! Pilfered all your stuff to put in my fixed wagon! Capitalist pits! Crying over junk! That'll sell to punks from my red wagon! How's it feel? Standing in my shoes! Just an orphan in cahoots with a red wagon! <laughs> Before we conclude this evening's performance, I wanted to have one more casual chat with the star performer of our featured play this evening, Miss Kara O'Connor. Thanks, Al. I believe you mean Mr. Watts? I know what I mean. <laughs> now then, Miss O'Connor, we've been using this segment as an opportunity to clear the air about any misconceptions the general public may have about our performers. Is there anything you feel you should add? Not especially. Ah, uh, fine. Maybe one thing. I thought there might be. <clears throat> Some people have ra reacted rather harshly to the sight of me wearing trousers at a time when dresses and gowns are clearly more appropriate attire. For this I can offer no explanation and only ask that you grant me the benefit of the doubt due to any member of the opposite sex. Go on. Furthermore, this statement that is attributed to me encouraging women to enter the workplace has been taken sorely out of context. I believe, as all women should, that our first duty is to our families. We are wives and mothers above all. Well said. And now, with your permission, of course, I should excuse myself and rush home and hand wash my husband's trousers with my little old washing men. Yes, very good. And if I'm lucky, maybe I'll have a baby. Or several. Yes, all right. That will be quite enough, Miss O'Connor. Of course, I should wait for you to leave the stage so I might remain three paces behind you, as is the custom. Good night, ladies and gentlemen. It's ever so kind and generous to you include ladies with the gentlemen. Oh, for heaven's sake. <laughs> This episode of Sarcastic Voyage Theatre was written and performed by Mark Bosco, Christy Brennan, Kara O'Connor, Amanda Smith, and Ron Algar-Watt, with Brian Lynch, Sabrina Snyder, and Jason Wallace. It was performed live at the Pocket Theatre and produced by Algar Productions, copyright 2018. <laughs>